Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about the Oscar-winning film The Shape of Water and the BBC documentary Kunk on Britain. We've also watched the Australian comedy Please Like Me for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. I'm feeling a little worse for wear today, Caroline. Uh, last night I went to the Empire Film uh, Empire Magazine Awards. You know, Fancy. Empire Film Magazine fame. It's the last film awards in the awards circuit. It's obviously not as um, glamorous and as prestigious as the Oscars or the Golden Globes, etc. But it's voted for by the readers of Empire. Okay, so it's quite a big kind of like blockbustery awards. That's good. So, yeah, I quite like it. So the the Last Jedi was the like biggest winner, um, mm. and it picked up awards for like best director and best film and best actress, which obviously it's not going to at those more kind of like prestigiousy arty farty awards. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really it was kind of a weird night. We were like sat next to Hugh Jackman, like what? a table away from Hugh Jackman. Daisy Ridley was there. Mark Hamill was there. Like quite a lot of the Last Jedi people were there. Steven Spielberg was there accepting some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award. And like really classic people were there, like Stephen Merchant and Martin Freeman and like, you know, some <laughs> real like Brits, Idris Elba. So that was quite fun, if a slightly weird Sunday night. And now I feel a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I had really no idea that that existed. And I'm sort of glad it does because, I've, I don't know, coming off awards season and like now I've just been like looking at what films are coming up that I can enjoy. Even like more struck than ever about how weirdly niche the films that get yeah. awarded at the Oscars and the BAFTAs are. Totally. But it's interesting because you think, I sometimes think you can be like, oh, well, if it's going to be voted for by the public, then it's literally just going to be Star Wars and nothing else winning. But Logan was really popular, which mm. I think is kind of like a superhero film that, you know, was actually good and that superhero fans really, really absolutely adore. So I like that that did well. And then also God's Own Country did really well. I was going to ask about that because that um, I was really angry that that didn't do better at the BAFTAs because I yeah, felt like sad. that, you know, if the BAFTAs was made to like lift up any British filmmaking, 
it's exactly that kind. Yeah. So I was really annoyed that it like didn't win all the awards, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm really glad that, you know, actual people liked it. No, yeah, Josh O'Connor picked up Best Male Newcomer, I think, was the award. So Hugh Jackman won Best Actor, but um, Josh O'Connor won Best Male Newcomer. And then it won Best British Film. Mm. Which, yeah, I, I don't know. I was kind of surprised, even though, you know, as you say, it's kind of like disappointing that it didn't do better in some other awards. I was surprised to see it do well at this one because I didn't know how many people actually got out and saw God's Own Country. So I wasn't expecting it necessarily to do that well in a voted for mm. system because obviously you, you sort of think, well, the stuff that did the best at the box office is the stuff most people have seen. So it's the stuff that will get the most votes. But clearly it doesn't always work like that. And also um, maybe the readers of Empire magazine are more likely to seek out films yeah. that they think sound interesting rather than just like turning up at their local Odeon and seeing what's on. I don't know. Yeah, totally. So that was, that was interesting. Um, and you know, it was fun to sort of pretend that you were somewhere glamorous for an evening. I enjoyed that. <laughs> we got our goodie bag, you know, was full of, it had like some DVDs and stuff like that. In awesome. it, so that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. What a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a different one to the weekend I had. I mean, the last couple of months before the first draft of my book has to be submitted. So, Oh, Caroline. I literally don't leave my house now unless it's like for work that I can't turn down or because my dog needs a walk. Morris needs air. <laughs> <laughs> we literally don't go outside. It's really oh, sad. It won't be long now. It'll go so quickly. Well, that's what's terrifying me is the time the fear. <laughs> is going really quickly. The writing is maybe not going so quickly. It will be done. <laughs> I have total faith. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I believe in your faith in me. If that makes sense. To seg. Mm -hmm. Did you get out to go to the cinema this week? I did. And I had a very interesting experience. Owing to my like near hermit-like existence now, <laughs> I was not remotely aware that it was St. Patrick's Day this weekend. Oh, you silly idiot. So we went to see The Shape of Water on Saturday night, quite late, like a half nine screening. And... So I was getting pretty much the last train from Liverpool back to the Wirral on Saturday night, just after midnight. Wouldn't advise it. Definitely wouldn't advise it unless you were at least eight pints in and wearing something green. Because the train was absolutely rammed with people having the time of their life. And there was me like in the corner wearing all of my jumpers and coat being like, oh, oh, I had some thoughts about the fish man in the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I went to the pub on Saturday night in Soho and I didn't see like a single person in green. I think it might be an Irish diaspora thing in Liverpool particularly because there right, are a maybe. lot of Irish people here and a lot of people who like, you know, used to be Irish at some point in their families. And yeah, it's a really big thing. I say this as part of the Irish diaspora, mm, yeah. so I hope no one thinks that this is uh, rude of me. But my, I'm from Cheltenham in Gloucestershire, which has a massive Irish diaspora community. That's what all my grandparents are part of that live in Cheltenham. And we also have, during St. Patrick's Day weekend, Cheltenham races. Oh, wow. Um, which is also extremely popular with people coming over from Ireland to like put money on, on the horses and so on. So St. Patrick's weekend in Cheltenham, I can't even imagine what it was like this year. And I'm really <laughs> glad I wasn't there because Cheltenham becomes like a totally different place during the races. Like nice little cafes become strip clubs. Like <laughs> it's full of people. You can't like get anywhere in the car because the traffic's so bad. Everyone's wasted all the time. It's just absolutely, because Cheltenham's a pretty like quiet, you know, not, not that out there town. So it's slightly 
disorienting to see that transformation occur yeah I had the same experience the first time I accidentally went to Chester on a race day because there's a big race course there and you know Chester's a very like posh if I say it's like the only place where there's a Waitrose within like a 50 mile radius of where I live that probably tells you what it's like (laughs) and then I happened to get off the train right at the moment at like when most people were arriving to go to the races and I was like why am I in a crowd of thousands of people all wearing like ridiculous dresses and three-piece suits and oh, like God, strange it's I was like, what, it's what has happened to me I'm like I'm on another planet it was really strange yeah it's a nightmare though interesting uh use of waitrose as a kind of social indicator I was doing this the other day because there are five like massive Waitrose John Lewis food and home stores in the UK like that are fully enormous and one of them is in Cheltenham so I always Ah. use that as a like (laughs) measure of our middle class credentials it is a big deal around here as well people in Liverpool feel quite annoyed that there isn't a Waitrose in Liverpool there's a John Mm. Lewis but no Waitrose um yeah you have to go either like to Southport or Chester like two posh places to find I one. literally played a game with my housemates the other day that was like, guess where all the biggest waitresses in the UK are in ascending order. <laughs> it really does tell you a lot about mm. the country. <laughs> but anyway, moving on from waitresses. Yeah, so The Shape of Water, I saw it just this weekend. Uh, you saw it a few weeks back, I think. Yeah, so it was an Oscar nominated and became an Oscar winning movie. It won Best Picture at the Oscars this year, which is obviously the biggest deal there is. So although we didn't talk about it when it was first released in the UK, we thought we should probably have a little chat about it now since it's won Best Picture. Yes. So just to give you a little bit of background in case you haven't followed it, it was directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's set in Baltimore in 1962 and stars Sally Hawkins as Eliza, who is a cleaner at a secret government laboratory who communicates only through sign language. During her workday, she forms a friendship with a mysterious amphibian creature who's being held and tortured at the lab. Uh, Together with her friends Zelda, who's played by Octavia Spencer, and Giles, who's Richard Jenkins, she hatches a plan to help the creature escape captivity. And yeah, as you say, it had the most nominations, I think, of anything at the Oscars this year, and it won like four pretty major categories in the end. Um, just a brief side note, it, one of the awards that it won was for Best Original Score, mm. which is the only Oscar that I am still angry about. Like, mm. the other ones I can take or leave, but... Phantom Thread was robbed. Johnny Greenwood for Phantom Thread was robbed. Like, the music <laughs> in The Shape of Water is fine. Like, it is... O- it's, a bit, it's a bit comedy, it's a bit twee, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit like, dwee, 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 dwee. It is, and it works with the film, so it's... It, the composer did a good job in that regard, but like I'd forgotten it as soon as I'd left the cinema. Whereas mm. the Phantom Thread music, I'm still listening to it every single day. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons maybe it took home so many things is because it ticks both um, those Oscar boxes of like nostalgic film about like outsiders and about Hollywood and about, mm. you know, nostalgia for cinema. And it also ticks some of the other boxes of like outstanding visual effects and costumes and like it's got so much going on that could could win in a lot of categories I think so maybe that's why it picked up so many nominations but it's obviously been like a real favorite with the academy which I don't know kind of surprised me because I thought they'd either go for like a risk or something really traditional like three billboards and this Mm. is kind of neither risky nor traditional it's kind of 
are like 50% risk. And yeah. that's what they ended up going with. That's true, actually. And it is a real mixture of a film. So I have to say, slightly not to my credit, I had kind of made up my mind about this film without seeing it, like based on like previews and the few reviews I'd seen. And then the fact that it was just cleaning up at award ceremonies, I was like, oh, this looks like schmaltzy rubbish. Like, I just have Mm. no interest in this. And also I therefore really enjoyed all of the grinding Nemo jokes, etc. on Twitter. Yeah, um, and because the central relationship in this film is between Sally Hawkins and the fish man. Yes. And it is a romantic point and, and explicitly sexual relationship, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was like, lol, Grinding Nemo, clearly this film has won when Get Out should. I have no interest in it. Mm. And then I went to see it this weekend and absolutely loved it. <laughs> oh, great. I'm um, glad you enjoyed it. And I feel really guilty about doing the thing that I'm always telling other people off for, which is like allowing the hype and the internet jokes about something to get in the way of how you actually appreciate it. Tell us what you liked about it. I really liked how sincere it was, even though it's, as you say, it is a film about a woman falling in love with like a human sized fish man. It at no point does any like nodding or winking to the camera to be like, lol, isn't this absurd? Mm, that's true you're invited to absolutely buy into the fact that they are genuine and it is genuine and I Mm. really like that and I realized that's not something you get to see that much anymore in fantasy totally it's quite a simple story as well the complexities come in like the imagery and the sort of genres it's alluding to rather than the actual story itself like the goodies are goodies the baddies are baddies and the heroes like try and do good things for others and the baddies don't and so yeah I was really caught up in it and as you said at the beginning like it does have this referential Hollywood thing going on in common with stuff like that has also been very praised at the Oscars stuff like La La Land and The Artist also had that same kind of Hollywood nuance reference reference thing and in this Eliza and Giles actually live in apartments like above an old cinema and Mm both the like noise of the films that play 24 7 underneath them like trickle up also what they're doing like bleeds down and it you get this sense and there isn't a scene that's explicitly where eliza has like a cinematic daydream Mm. um you know so it uh, the reality does like blur at the edges a bit and you're like oh we are watching a film there we're in a film you know those were some of my favorite bits actually i really my favorite scene in it is the scene where he's sat at the kitchen or dining room table with her she's sat at one end and he's at the other and he's just like gulping down these eggs that she's boiled for him because he likes boiled eggs Mm. they're always kind of framed as sexual these eggs from the beginning just because we kind of like see see that she masturbates in the time it takes for her to cook her eggs in the morning and stuff but as he's just like chowing down on these eggs, like really, really like into the eggs, only sort of thinking about the eggs, she's singing this like song to him about how much she loves him and how he'll never know. And she can't speak. So it's obviously a fantastical segment and it's like an, an imagined segment. And like you say, it kind of bleeds into the, the fantasy of a of a movie. But it's I think it just says something so nice and almost obscene about like, attention and how like she's got so much attention fixed on this guy and he's just like this fish man and he's just like chowing down on the eggs there was something about the whole dynamic of that scene that I really enjoyed yeah I really like that as well and her the little bit 
of the song and dance number that they do is mm. it looks exactly like an Astaire Rogers RKO musical from like the 30s or 40s. Mm. It's all black and white and like really stark art deco set and even mm. what she's wearing. But the only difference is that she's not dancing with Fred Astaire, she's dancing with a fish man. <laughs> and it's a real measure of how like beautifully sincere the film is that when that happens about three quarters of the way through I didn't even think about laughing Mm, I think you're right I hadn't really appreciated that the level of sincerity that it has is really really nice I think this film for me is like I really enjoyed it and I liked it a lot but I agree with what you say about like the villains are very much villains the goodies are goodies like there's something a little um, straightforward about it sometimes, which seems like a weird thing to say about a film that's about a woman yeah. and a fish. Um, but in the in a way that like, so for me, my favourite films of the year, and it's unfair to go and see a film and be like, is it up there with my favourite films of yeah. the year? Because that's, as we, you know, that's what we're talking about with buying into hype and criticising a film because of the hype surrounding it, which isn't really fair. But for me, it can't it can't live up to films that I found so like nuanced and complicated and full of depth, like Get Out, Lady Bird, Call Me by Your Name, Phantom Thread. Those films are films that I feel like any five minute section of it you could like study for yeah. hours, and there'd be so much to say about them. Even if they're like Get Out and Lady Bird are still quite broad comedies, they're still very mainstream, they're still very accessible there's just something really there's just so much going on there at the same time which I didn't I didn't feel that with The Shape of Water and maybe maybe I'm being unfair maybe that is going on there but for me it was still pretty broad it had like moments of quite high comedy it was very accessible very mainstream very like Edward Scissorhandsy mm. but didn't quite have the same level of um of stuff going on in the background all the time yeah I found other films too. I think that's true it it's very self-contained like it although it is a cold war film in the sense that the reason the fish man is being kept in captivity by the americans is to stop the russians studying him and getting an advantage in the space race so bloody russians it does have that kind of uh framing device to it but that all feels very remote like it's not a film that's trying to tell you anything about how we live now you know it is just a story and a story about then and those characters which is something I actually quite like sometimes is like a bit of light relief from the what you can get these days which is a lot of like and maybe they're just like us type stuff (laughs) um so yeah I did like that sort of self-containedness but I think it does slightly like limit what it can do I felt the only aspect where they really got into anything really meaty for want of a better word is in discussions of masculinity because mm. I think there's a very strong thread in it about the fact that this fish man is like more of a quote honorable man than any of the other men in the film even though he's a fish mm. you know he exhibits kindness and empathy and loyalty when the apparently all-american perfect soldier people who are keeping him captive are actually shown to be rotten and dishonorable and horrible so I thought there were some interesting things going on there and also with her neighbor Giles who is a not out gay man in the early 60s and the sort of struggles he's having with like oh my hair's falling out and then the fish man restores his hair and all that kind of thing so I mm. thought there were some interesting things going on there but yeah apart from that I wasn't 
feeling like I really got drawn into a nuanced debate about anything. Totally. I agree. I wanted to shout out to Michael Stuhlbarg, <laughs> who plays Dr. Robert Hofstetler or mm. Dimitri in this film. He's kind of like a double agent um, who's converted to the cause of saving the fish. He also is the dad in Call Me By Your Name and mm. also is Abe Rosenthal in The Post. What a year. I know, him. he's had a stunning year. <laughs> really just everywhere. Um, so I thought his performance was great. Uh, and yeah, and I had fun. I definitely enjoyed the movie. And Sally Hawkins I thought was great as well. She was fantastic. So yeah, all in all, I found it a very enjoyable trip to the cinema. Mm. It hasn't really changed my opinions about the outcome of awards season. Mm. But I also feel like I was unjustly down on it before seeing it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Kunk on Britain. Some of you may know Philomena Kunk. She's a character from Charlie Brooker's Wipe programs weekly wipe screen wipe 2015 wipe etc she's a kind of dim-witted ill-informed talking head played by the actress and comedian diane morgan um we've talked about her before on seriously she was in bbc's motherland which was a a comedy that we enjoyed and she's been playing this character for a long time Previous shows she's done on her own include Kunk on Shakespeare and Kunk on um, Christmas. Mm. And now she's doing Kunk on Britain, which is basically a fake documentary, a mockumentary in the style of all those TV shows that are just everywhere on British TV that include kind of like a recognisable British face being like, hi, I'm here at the White Cliffs of Dover uh, and I'm going to talk about what Britain is and what Britain means so the the premise is that it's a documentary covering the entire history of Britain from the Big Bang to Brexit over five 30-minute long episodes. And it comes to BBC Two on Tuesday the 3rd of April. So it's coming to screens near you soon. Um, we've watched it already and it's really funny. It's really funny. I mean, 
I've long found Philomena Kunk to be one of the best things about the various WIBE programmes. I sometimes, like as much as I do like Charlie Brooker's monologues in them, I do sometimes found, found him a bit too depressing. Like sometimes he's a bit too on the nose with his everything is awful. Whereas the beauty of the Philomena Kunk character is that she sometimes seems cynical, like her tone comes can come off as cynical but actually she's got quite a sort of innocent view of the world Mm. it's quite an individualistic view of the world as well like she generally boils down big points into like but will my tv still work that kind of Mm. like question about things and I find it really charming I also thought I don't know what you thought about this but I really loved all the effort that had gone into this in parodying the documentary format yeah that's the best thing about it i think is that her and the program makers really get what all the tropes are Mm. of these programs and even in the press release as philomena kunk diane morgan even said like this program will involve me traveling the length and width of the country standing in front of old buildings talking into the camera and you're like (laughs) yeah that's and even like the phrasing of length and width just draws attention to the fact that every single show says i'll be traveling the length and breadth of britain to you know Mm -hmm. um and And all of the aerial shots of as you say the white cliffs of dover and castles and stuff like that is all perfect yeah she's got the walk and talk down as Mm -hmm. well the way she like the way they like walked slowly while talking to the camera about how Catherine of Aragon maybe was more than she seemed. You're like, okay, we get it. Um, but I think when you describe it like this, it can sound quite like four, five 30-minute episodes parodying popular documentary styles. Isn't that going to get really boring and really drawn out? And I think it would if it wasn't for, as you say, her sort of um, idiosyncratic idiosyncratic way of looking at the world and the the kind of one-liners and little descriptions that Philomena Kunk brings out are so weird that they surprise you every time it's not like Charlie Brooker I feel like although he's amazing at what he does and I don't don't mean to put him down at all he's kind of got like a shtick and he brings out the same shtick a lot of times and it's always proving a point whereas because her way of speaking is so weird even if she repeats it lots of times, it's surprising every time because, I mean, how often would anyone describe sword fighting as, quote, extreme whittling? <laughs> yes. Like when she brings out things like that, you're like, wait, what did you just say? This is so weird that I can't mm. help but be laughing because it's just too bizarre. Um, so I think that's why she can carry it for longer than the joke really has any right to go yeah. on for. Also, it's really helped by, she does the classic documentary thing of interviewing other talking heads all of whom are real academics in this program, mm. who are, as far as I can tell, not scripted. No, I think, they don't seem scripted at all. No, I think they are just like stuck in a chair opposite Diane Morgan. She obviously has some ideas about what she's going to say. And then she just asks them stupid questions to see what they would say. And mm. there's a very interesting variety of responses, like Tom Holland, who you might, be aware of his work as a telly don mostly about sort of classical subjects Mm. he got quite angry with her um (laughs) like because i can't remember what the subject of their interview was was it the king george one yes that was it um she kept being like so 
did King George actually kill the dragon or did he just like do it to make it look good? And she, he was like, dragons are not real. There was no dragon. And she's like, but when you say the dragon did this, she's like, there's no dragon, um, which was very funny. I also enjoyed Robert Peston. Um, she asks him, what's the most political thing that's ever happened? And he really goes along with it. He's really like, ooh, great question. The most political thing that's ever happened in Britain. Mm, that's a really tough one. And then she's like, second most political <laughs> so it's really it's really it's, silly and really those, funny those are really funny um and i think it's the woman from the national archive who i thought had the best way of dealing with philomena kunk which was to just take her absolutely at face value mm. so her little bit was showing the original doomsday book to philomena kunk uh and philomena kunk is trying all of this like so when all these things are written down in there, is it, I sort of thought it was like cursed and people's souls were still inside it. Um, and the archivist like, no, I've never heard that. I don't think that's true. Like she's not yeah, trying she's like, to. We don't need to worry about that actually. She's yeah. like, oh, are you sure? She's like, yeah, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. It's very sweet. Um, I really, I really just love those weird turns of phrases from her. Mm. Um, and sometimes the jokes I find are like quite, kind of like satirical and like a, a little bit more clever a little bit more high level so they'll be like there's one where she's like this was a terrible time to be gluten intolerant but fortunately <laughs> nobody was yet middle class so everyone just got on with it and that's like you know the kind of joke you can imagine a sort of telegraph yeah. newspaper columnist making and then at other moments she's just being an absolute idiot and it's really silly like at one point there's like a supercut of 12th century churches and she's like, amazingly, these were all built by one man, Norman Architecture. <laughs> that was <laughs> my favourite really joke. made me laugh. I was like, that's so stupid. They have absolutely no right to put a joke that stupid in this TV show. <laughs> and yeah, I am laughing. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend Kunk on Britain. It really made me smile. Yeah. Caroline just made a heinous admission off air. Caroline, just repeat what you just said to me. That is absolutely outrageous. Okay, so I was just admitting to Anna that Shakespeare and Hathaway, which we did last podcast, podcast before. A couple of weeks ago. Tie, all time is incomprehensible to me at the moment. Uh, because Caroline is writing a book, yeah, as you may have heard. And I keep going on about how busy I am and how I never leave the house and I don't have time for anything. Apart from I have somehow inexplicably made time to watch all 10 50-minute <laughs> episodes of Shakespeare and Hathaway. Oh my God, there are 10 of them. There are I 10 of them. I didn't know there were 10. <laughs> yep. And I oh unashamedly God, love Caroline. it. I think it's fantastic and I really hope Do you have make no more of shame? It. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, how does it how does it get better as it goes along or uh, just it, it gets the same? The same. It's the same. <laughs> um, I'd say the one thing that I did really like that that does sort of get better or there is more of it, not sure which, uh, is the character of Sebastian who's like their little assistant who's yeah, a, an a camp assistant camp assistant who wants to be an actor but can't get a job and so has to work for them he has like a bigger role the more it goes on he does more wearing crazy costumes and like using his camp superpowers for good which i really liked but just to make like a tiny serious point about this i actually think that the people who made it are secretly trying to like improve diversity 
on daytime television. Really? Yeah, because there are multiple episodes where the like innocent protagonists are like middle class black people. Yeah. Like they're not the ones getting murdered. They're yeah. just the like nice people who run a wellness retreat who a bad thing has happened to you know what I mean and then there's another episode where one of the things they find like Sebastian finds out during the course of the episode that one of their suspects is um really into cross-dressing and goes to all these like events for men who like to dress in women's clothes and stuff but it's not at all in a like oh my god how disgusting or like Mm -hmm. how ridiculous way Sebastian like goes undercover dresses up and goes to one of these nights and has a really like genuine and sincere conversation with the guy where he's like yeah my wife really didn't understand she left me it's been really difficult this is the only place I felt accepted blah 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 it's like this is so nice and not at all what I was (laughs) expecting from daytime television (laughs) well all I can say is I suppose true representation means seeing yourself in bad tv as well as good tv (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, this was not what we were meant to be talking about in this segment. Um, the point was, we we have finally watched Please Like Me, which After I, three years of being told to watch Please Like Me. I think this might be the most recommended programme by Seriously Listeners. Yeah, I think I'm almost certain that you're right. So it's an Australian comedy. It's created by and stars the comedian Josh Thomas, he plays the main character also called Josh and yeah and the series really just follows his love life his friendships and his family um and it the first series aired in 2013 and there have been four and he's now said I don't think they're going to make any more so the fourth series is the last one it's all on Amazon Prime if people have a Prime membership that's how I watched it so it's quite nice to be like, ah, all four seasons available in their entirety as part of my existing subscription. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yes. <laughs> I love it when I see that these days. So yeah, the pilot episode starts with Josh being broken up with by his very long-term girlfriend and her, <laughs> they have this really funny scene that's framed through, he's just ordered a $19 ice cream sundae and she's sitting opposite him in the sundae and then she's like, I think we should break up. And she's like, yeah, we've really drifted apart. Also, you're gay. Um, <laughs> and Josh is very... Which I feel like is a trope. I feel it like you could collate yeah. all these scenes where it like begins with the girl being like, oh, you're gay, so I'm going to break up with you. Mm. And then being like, what? I'm not gay. And her being like, yeah, you're gay. Which I don't think is a thing that people can tell other people, even though in TV they're always right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so anyway, sexuality is something that Josh is working on, let's say. Yeah, you know? yeah. And... In even in the first episode, he ends up like making out with a guy, and he meets a fit dude. He meets a really, a really fit dude. beautiful dude, um, and ends up making out with him. And then some bad stuff happens. I, I feel like the general like trope of this comedy is Josh getting in his own way, and events also getting in Josh's way. So every time something see, it seems like something is happening for Josh, that you're like, yeah, good for you, man. Like that's that's what you deserve. Either he does something to get in his own way or, spoiler alert for the first episode of something that aired five years ago, you know, he gets a series of phone calls from family members being like, oh, your mum's in a ho- in hospital. She's like tried to take an overdose. You've got to come now. So it's very much always like action interrupted. I really like the character of Josh. He's obviously given loads of depth and he's like a really interesting character. I think the mannerisms 
and the way he speaks is quite unusual and i think that's probably just coming straight from um the comedian josh rather mm. than the character josh um at its heart and i really like um that and, I, and at first i was like hang on this guy is kind of like odd and his way of speaking to like his family members is odd and but it's re really quite endearing it's really um, charming i thought yeah yeah really charming so i i felt compelled to keep watching for that so far i find the rest of the characters and it is very early on i've only seen the first two episodes and i'm sure they'll develop as it goes along because you kind of have to just focus on your lead character from the off the rest of the characters i find a little bit like you know pawns in the chess game that is mm. josh's life they're kind of like props they're not given loads of um of depth just yet but it almost doesn't really matter because the the stuff that they're talking about you know like you said his mum tries to take her own life so there's a whole um thread of kind of like mental illness and suicidal mm. thoughts um being discussed and there's also Josh Josh discovering his sexuality or at least experimenting with it and you know there's quite all of those issues are dealt with so sensitively and with such like nice warmth humor that it almost doesn't warmth and humor that it almost doesn't matter yeah. if some things are kind of a little bit um thinner on the ground so i finished watching the first episode and i thought that was all i was going to have time for but i just like squished in the next one because i was like oh i actually do want to carry on watching this so it is really really nice it is really nice and i'm really given that there are i think 32 episodes in total i'm really interested to see where it goes because i think sometimes well, I, I'm not even sure it would be fair to describe this as a sitcom, um, but mm. sometimes comedy shows that really heavily revolve around one character and particularly like one performance can get a bit repetitive on one note totally. as like the same things just happen to that character again. But judging by the like wave of recommendations from Seriously Listeners and also the general plaudits that this show won, like it, it won a lot of awards for writing and stuff. I don't think that's going to happen in this. I think it, there's going to be like actual development. That would be great. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it moves forward because, you know, it's very difficult. We often have to do this on Seriously, especially with recommends where we don't have time to watch an entire series for each, you know, we can't watch three TV series for every week's episode, but it's hard to judge something on just one or two, especially when it's been running for four se seasons like Please Like Me has. But I was definitely really intrigued and I hope that I have time to carry on with it because it's a sweet little series. Mm, it's really sweet. It's really charming. And it pulled off something really difficult for me, which is that even though it is tackling some really heavy stuff, I finished it smiling. Yeah, without have feeling like it's been it's been treated as a joke any of it no not at all so I definitely would put it in the same category as something like Fleabag um, where somehow you find terrible things funny whilst also having like huge empathy with the protagonists mm. so um yeah we've belatedly done your recommendation everyone <laughs> and we liked it I hope you're happy <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? 
We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.